0: Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org, where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Constance. Hi, everyone. My name is Constance and I am a recovering compulsive overeater, bulimic, and failed anorexic. Hi. Hi. Thank you, Rod, for asking me to speak and allowing me to be freaking nervous for over a month. (laughs) And, um, but I, I'm always really happy to, to speak, um, at 12 step meetings because it gives me a chance to hear my own recovery because left inside my own head, I don't have any. Um, So, um, and I know that's not true um, just because of reality. Um, I have been in OA since um, November 1986 and my abstinence date is, January 8th, 1987, so it's well over 24 years of abstinence. And um, what I thought I would try to do is explain to people how I have been able to maintain an abstinence for all this time without shooting myself in the head (laughs) Um, or any other creative way out. Um, I will start with what it was like. Um I start with childhood because that's where I started. I was a child first. Actually, I was an infant first. Um, no, I was a seed. Okay, okay, just kidding. And um, where I come from in my family of origin, and I know my parents did the best they could with what they had, and the longer I had stayed abstinent and worked on my own, Family of origin issues, the more I realized that it was really, really true that they really did the best they could with what with what they had and with what they had in terms of parenting skills wasn't too wasn't too helpful um, I would say politely um, and because I was able eventually like really eventually many years later to See that they did the best they could with what they had I was able to have compassion for them as human beings as opposed to pure hatred as parents and that change was really important for me just as a as a person living you know um so as a kid Um, There are four kids in my family, my parents. I know a lot of people have heard this story already. Uh, Now that I'm going to be on the World Wide Web, there's many of you who haven't heard this great story. Um, (laughs) Lucky you. Uh, My parents, I think they really loved each other at first, but um, I think as each kid came along, and it wasn't our fault, but as each kid came along, just time and life-wise, it got more and more and more... um, contentious and, um, I'd say, emotionally violent, uh, maybe some physically violent, um, and uh, eventually my parents separated. My, we stayed with my mom, and what my experience was, was that my mom used the kids to get back at the dad, and my dad used money to get back at my mom. So it was kind of like, I feel like I grew up in guerrilla warfare. Um, And because I don't think my parents, or let's say my mom, had the qualities of love, kindness, patience, and tolerance, which are the codes to live by in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, which are the codes I do my best to live by, and I'll talk about that, how I do that. There was just... It just wasn't a happy place to be and it was a scary place to be and there was just a lot of judgment and criticism and and negativity and fear, constant fear over money, um, just constant anger over my dad, you know, just hearing, growing up hearing things like, I just don't want your brother to grow up being like your dad. I just don't want you to marry anyone that's like your dad just really, like, uncomfortable, shameful kind of messages over and over and over again. And, you know, I know that my mom was just relieving her anxiety and anger and feelings, but, you know, it's inappropriate for parents to relieve them on their children, and at least probably most of that generation did not know that. So anyway, um, what I did, everybody knows, you're going to guess, it's not a big secret, what did I do for comfort? I went to food. And also I had, what I wanted to say is, I think parenting, it's a lot, too, like, you know, I see people today, you, as parents, I don't have kids, but teaching kids how to treat each other, the children, with love and respect and kindness, and that wasn't done in my household. There was a lot of competition, judgment, criticism, heavy competition, and so I wasn't treated kindly at all, and a, the whole combination really left me with a feeling that I was not, I don't know how it's possible to be feel like you're worth, le- worth less than nothing, but that is how I felt. Like I wasn't worth sitting in the chair. I would sit in in a meeting, you know. Uh, I was taking the space for someone else. There was just like no self-worth. And, um... And it was it was hard. Uh, It was difficult and painful growing up like that. Um, So, yes, I turned to food, and, you know, it was probably the first line of defense. I think right before food, what I turned to, my um, brother and I used to, we had this sort of circular rug, and we would just run around the rug and spin, and that would make you high. It didn't last very long. (laughs) But I think that was my first high. Maybe it was neck and neck with food. And what happened for me food-wise was, I developed allergies to certain foods, and so I would sneak them at a young age because I could not stop eating them. So I know that was, you know, I was addicted already, and maybe I was six, five, whatever. And um, the consequences did not matter. Like, I couldn't match the food with the consequences. I'd break out in rashes, things like that. Um, And how much time? What am I doing up here? (laughs) Oh, but then there's questions right I want to stop early. okay I'll, I'll try to do that um, so that was it. I was pretty much a compulsive overeater, and somewhere, somehow, I was not very heavy, although i I did gain weight as a little kid, and I felt really fat, and I was told I was fat by one of my really skinny sisters. I mean every day, I was verbally abused, and because I didn't have the loving parental comfort to counter that, I believed it 100%. My mantra was fat and ugly and, um, and other stuff. So, but we'll start with those. And, uh, and they stuck pretty hard and pretty fast. And um, so that was it. You know, I, I ate my way through survival. And it was a survival thing. I didn't feel safe in my house. I would always look around and make sure I knew where my sister was at all times because I didn't want her to hit me or or lash out at me or anything like that. So I had the hyper-awareness of an abused kid. And um, it escalated, of course. And this is the disease. It does escalate. It gets worse, not better, over time. And that is one of the tenets of disease that has, I didn't define it, but that got defined basically, you know, starting with AA, I think. And so my disease got worse when I was a teenager. You know, I met kids that were, you know, over, you know, eating and throwing up. And so I I got on that for a while, and it really didn't work too well for me. Um, Later on, I I did the... um, Colonics and enemas and herbal laxatives uh, and pretty much what happened with me was I when I got here I could not stop eating unless I had really, really, really made extreme effort to have a starvation diet. I couldn't do normal diets whatever that is because I couldn't follow rules basically and um so I'd throw the whole thing out if there was, like, one food on there I didn't feel like I could eat. I'm like, ah, can't do that one. And I would just make up my own. And pretty much um, a lot of them were, like, it would be, like, liquid diets with a little food. And so they were basically starvation diets. So that was pretty much how it was for me. I would um, binge, purge, starve, binge, and then keep going. That was my cycle. So... um for me, one thing that probably qu- helped me, in quotes, was that I was multi-addicted because I was, since age 13, I, was a, I became a heavy smoker, like, right away. Uh, so I had smoking, drinking, et- drugs for a while, um, and food. And and uh, I grew up in the drug, what is it? Sex, drugs, rock and roll era. So I had all of that going on. So, um just between all of that, I, I would not necessarily rotate, but I had all of that stuff to keep me from feeling my feelings and knowing my feelings. Um, like, I, I remember in my 20s, this one friend of mine who, she had a lot of her own issues, and I could not stick up for myself. That was a huge quality I learned at home, people-pleasing, how to get attention or any affection by doing what someone else wanted me to do. I was really good at it, and one of the reasons I think I was so good at it was partly I think I really do feel I have a, a good heart, and I I do want the best for everyone, but the other part of it was that the role of bad girl was already taken in my family, so I found role of good girl, and um, so it wasn't totally altruistic. And... Um, so, yeah, I did a, a lot of people-pleasing, and this one friend of mine, you know, we I had a lot of issues with her because there was stuff that was going on that was not, you know, appropriate or something that a good friend would do, but I couldn't speak up. I would just be the underlying anger, you know, lashing out. And one day she said to me, are you angry with me? And I said, no, I'm not angry. And underneath I wanted to say, I freaking hate you. You know, I'm so mad at you. But I I didn't even know. I just was not in touch with a feeling. It just acted out. And um, that was... Ooh, I think I'm covering the recording. Sorry there. Um, so um, I'm going to start over. No, just kidding. Okay. <laughs> so, so I did that. Like, I didn't have any concept of what my feelings were, even though I had been in therapy since I was, like, 17. But, you know, it's not a fault of therapy. It was just this was the best I could do, and I didn't have any of the knowledge and experience that I gained from being an OA. So, anyway, um, I got to OA when I was in my early 30s. I know I only look like I'm in my early 30s, (laughs) but it's not true. And and, uh, it was, like, amazing because I really wanted it. When I got here, right before I got to OA, I heard this little voice in my head that said, I'm not going to make it through another holiday season alone. Just And I was like, well, who are you? You know, because I never heard anything calm and quiet like that. I only heard, like, I hate you, you're fat, you're ugly, you're a loser, you're this or that. But I had this calm moment of clarity, we call it. I am not going to make it through another holiday season al- alone. And I had heard of OA for quite a while, but was always too afraid to be public about it. God forbid, you know, like I could go out and, like, pile up my foods and, you know, go to the different grocery stores and, you know, I think people know what I'm talking about, luckily, and, um, oh, my God, wouldn't it be great if, like, I accidentally was in a meeting of, like, accountants and you were, like, all accountants and all of a sudden I'm, like, oh, my God, I am not in a room of Overeaters Anonymous, (laughs) these poor people. (laughs) So I'm so glad you're all here because I think you get what I'm talking about. <laughs> Very comforting. <laughs> so um, yeah, so so I would do that with the food. And so when I got here, I really, you know, like I, I say, like I, people say, you know, you get here when you're ready. And really, I, I we're not supposed to have regrets. But I wish I'd gotten here at about 17. I could have really used it then. But um, so the good part of, of it is that when I did get here, I was so into it. I really wanted to be a sponge. I really wanted to just, like, soak up everything I could. And, um, and I would take notes and write things down. But I was not going to get a sponsor, and I was not going to do the steps, because the steps didn't apply to me. And a sponsor, like, who? I can't trust people, you know. I mean, I'm glad you're all here, but I'm not going to trust any of you. Forget that. That's going a little too far. And um, I eventually did get a sponsor and worked the steps. And what was so brilliant and amazing about step four, which I, when I first came here and read that, I'm like, that doesn't apply to me because I never did anything wrong. Everyone did it to me. I was like an excellent victim. And when I did my four step, it was like, I think it it was well over 100, it was about 120 pages. And it was pretty much... Writing about all the all the kind of wrongs I felt had been done to me that basically I had never told anyone, so it was like 120 pages of stuff I've been carrying around for my for three decades, and and then of course there there's the freeing part, which is my part, and what's so great about my part is not blame, and I know people are a lot of times afraid to look at that part. And I think maybe people don't have the correct understanding of it. My part is freedom. It allows me to have the freedom of choice to change my behavior, to behave, speak, act, and think differently to get different results and to have a happier life. Um, My way of feeling anger and not doing anything and stuffing it with food wasn't helping me when i'll tell you the year before i got here i'll tell you how it was for me the year before i got here or two years i had gone to a nutritionist um and she had said to me that she had never seen anyone my age who was so nutritionally deficient as i was because i pretty much had a i had a very um very hot relationship with Entenmann's and haagen <laughs> with a little bit of broccoli and chicken breast thrown in there for good measure. Um, and so, you know, she, she just said to me, I can't get enough healthy food in you. you you're like completely deficient. So anyway, that's where I was. And I got, uh, like you know, I, I didn't come in here like very overweight um, but what happened with me was I was always either gaining weight or losing weight. That's how I was. That was my life and that was where I put all my effort and energy. I gotta lose weight, I gotta be thin because then I'll be loved. And then I can get love from my sisters and love from my mom and I can be thin like all of them and then I'd get thinner and I would have an have anxiety and panic for Because I have a disease, basically. And then I couldn't stop eating until I gained all the weight back. And then I'd start over. And so it went like that. You know, and cigarettes really helped. And my my favorite diet, I always say, was cigarettes and coffee. And um, so, okay, so, I don't know, I just started talking about the steps. And I want to just talk some about my character defects and um, how learning about them and growing through them is, is like such a... I don't know, it's such a wonderful experience rather than, you know, the fear I had beforehand. So, for example, contempt. Um, I come from a family where there's a lot of contempt, which is, to me, a really nasty, angry way of saying you're better than. Um, we used to, with my grandparents, I used to sit in Central Park with them, and everyone that walked by my grandparents had something nasty to say or, or funny to say about them. Oh, look at her. Oh, and then, you know, once in a while, oh, what a smart suit. You know, I mean, they were, they were born in the 1800s, you know, cut them some slack now, I guess. But And I went quite along with it because, you know, I'd get attention. So it wasn't until way in a way that I realized, oh, my God, that, you know, that's not like a, a great example for how to learn how to appreciate humankind. And um, and I know a lot of it I turned inward onto myself, you know, oh, whatever I'd say negatively about myself. So I first noticed contempt with my family, actually through a, a therapy situation. And, of course, it took me quite a while to realize that I actually had that same character defect. And I probably didn't realize it until I actually um, was ready to work on it. And I even, um, and and it is, like this therapist said, contempt is a very good defense if you need one, but it unfortunately keeps people away. And, you know, in terms of spirituality, spirituality is about, a lot about humanity and connecting. So, you know, that contempt defect, I couldn't really connect too much with people. Um, I used to say things like... Um, you know, well, I'm abstinent and I'm sober, but, you know, I never had anything really bad happen with me, like, you know, a parent dying or something like that, and then I went through that, and I was able to stay abstinent, and it was really painful, and I still have quite a bit of grief over it, and, um, and sadness over it, and it, 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 was a really, like, icky situation. I'm not sure how much to get into it just because it kind of takes up time. But my dad and I had this sort of tumultuous relationship, like, where we loved, loved, loved each other. And then certain things would happen, mostly to me. I realized much later it had to do with his second marriage and, um... Anyway, so, and me feeling like I was not being treated very well, so I would distance myself, and there were, like, two periods of time. We didn't speak to each other for 10 years once, and then 12 years, and then I took this amazing, fabulous course, Outside Help, on um, repairing relationships between men and women, and, like, just a phenomenally wonderful course, and I was able to see more of the positive of what I could give with my relationship with my dad, not just what I could get. And so I started trying to find him and contact him. And um, I, it took me a while, and I would speak to the, his wife, and she basically hang up on me for months. And then finally I had a therapist intervene, and uh, I got the message that my dad was dead. And he had died three years before or two years before and no one told anyone in my family and um, it was quite devastating and uh, I know I've just silenced the room sorry everybody take a deep breath <laughs> inhale and exhale it's okay um, so uh, there was that that happened and I've spent a lot of time since then thinking about positives of what happened in my relationship with my dad and I actually started writing and I've written like a a whole long long thing of positive things in my relationship with my dad and there were a lot of negatives and it was really difficult and painful in a lot of ways for me um, our relationship and it was tainted with this horrible like war it was like I was either on one side or the other. If I loved my dad, I was betraying my mom. If I loved my mom, I was betraying my dad. And so my family that I lived with, there were just basically more people in that family to please. So, so it was easier to go with that side, kind of thing. So um, anyway, um, I don't know if I'm telling you how I stay abstinent. Okay, so how I stay abstinent is, first of all, I had to define what my abstinence is. Abstinence is. That was something um, someone told me that I thought was one of the most brilliant things I had ever heard in my life. She said, Well, what's your abstinence? And I, because I had binged after a couple weeks in the program between November and January, and I binged over loneliness. And um, she said, Well, what's your abstinence? And I said, "Um, I don't know. And she said, Well, it's so brilliant. It's very difficult to stay abstinent if you don't know what your abstinence is. Clarity! That's amazing! So on the phone we define my abstinence, which is and has been for 24-and-a-half-plus years, no binging, no starving, no purging, and I don't eat um, sugar. I wasn't eating any kind of sugar foods for 14 years, but now I do have certain non-cane sugar sweeteners, and they don't set me off or trigger me. And I eat three healthy meals a day, moderate portions, and I developed an understanding and love of healthy food. I don't eat junk food, like, and um, that's. I wouldn't say necessarily that the junk food thing is part of my abstinence, but it is part of my way of life. I figure if I'm going through all this and working on myself and doing all this stuff, I may as well stay healthy. Um, and uh, so that's that's, you know, that's the abstinence part and. So for what I do for my abstinence, or to stay, you know, sane and sober, emotionally, physically, um, uh, mentally, spiritually, I have a daily practice, I I do my prayers every morning, and I got to say, it's not big and huge, okay, I'm talking a few minutes every morning. And I was taught that consistency and making commitments is one of the most crucial things one can do for their recovery, and that it even says in the AA book, we are an undisciplined lot. Mm -hmm. And I love the other part. It says "Is the one thing we all have in common, I know everyone thinks, oh, it's our compulsive overeating. Nope. The one thing we all have in common is that we are all emotionally immature. I'm like, wow, I found my tribe. So um, a lot of things that um, are about discipline and maturity I still have a hard time with, which is, like, career-wise and empowering myself and being out in the world being empowered. I still have, I still have, like, just resistance to that. Um, but what I do is I can show up for a job, um, and it's a job that's not my heart's desire at all, but I show up. And do the best I can, and I have service there, um, because I want to be, like, grown up enough to pay my rent and pay bills and basically live. And, you know, I get to practice the principles of the program there, like, um, well, just being kind. And, and I never, I never say, you know, if someone asks you to do something, I never say no problem, because to me that has a negative com- connotation, because you're using the word problem. And no is your first word. Um, So I say, I'd be happy to. And I do it all the time. And I smile when I say it. And I get along really well most of the time with most people. And when I don't, I ah, make my amends. And so I was starting to say, you know, I have this uh, morning thing. I do my prayers. I say the first three steps and this was all taught to me by other people I say the first three steps the third step prayer and then when once I got to the seventh step my sponsor said okay now you add the seventh step prayer so I say first three steps third step prayer the seventh step prayer then I have um, prayers for me to um, be able to just improve in my life in certain ways like um, have more trust to have more friends and have a, a a career that makes me happy and a, a healthy relationship. So uh, I do prayers for that. And then I pray for other people. And this was a great one. Um, in praying for other people, there was this one person that I knew that I was praying for. And it was really bugging me. You know, I was praying for them to just have a good day or whatever. And the real truth was that I had contempt for this person because I felt that I could do what they were doing better than them. And I wasn't being nice to them. And we had had a couple confrontations. So, like, just from being quiet and doing my prayers, I came up with that. And I realized, no, i got to pray for me to be kind, patient, loving, and tolerant to this woman, even if I don't want to be. And so that's what I do every morning. I pray for her, and then I say for my, and I pray for me to be kind, loving, patient, and tolerant to her, even if I think I can do her job better, you know, it, because it's none of my business. I have to do my part. So um, I guess I'm going to try to end at um, 6.10 so people can ask questions. And I wanted to read something. Um, I read this to somebody yesterday. Um, this is so important to me, and it's really what I'm working on now, um, to learn how to be this way and do this. Um, because in my life, like, what I'm looking at now is, is that the type of childhood I had, it produced trauma, and trauma affects people in certain ways and has certain affects and results, and for me, holds me back on being able to live... A life as fully as I, I supposedly deserve. You know, I can't always feel like I do, but I do deserve to have a full life. And um, the sometimes, even as much as I try uh, for myself, the past can hold me back. So this is what I want to read. It says, "Children develop in this from uh, more." literature I've read. Children develop internal power by learning to make choices for themselves based on their own feelings and having those choices validated by their parents. They develop a sense of self-worth, confidence, and competence with the growing knowledge that they can make healthy decisions. The inner self becomes their internal authority. They serve one God. That's lowercase g. This is in direct contrast to children who learn that they must respond in a particular way to the expectations and pressures of their parents in order to assure their safety and security. The dictums of the parents, rather than your inner self, rule these children. Amen. I mean, that is me. And that is like, that's what I was. I was the people pleaser, extraordinaire, um, arrogant doormat. And... Um, so I, I didn't quite, well, okay. So thank you for letting me share and babble on. Thank you. <laughs> a cool question, and I'm um, going to repeat the question. Yes. Thank you. I knew someone would ask that. The question is, what was my religious-slash-spiritual life like as a kid and what it, what it's like now? So uh, I could go on and on as a kid. I'll try to keep that really brief. I grew up um, Jewish, but we celebrated like Jewish holidays, but it was kind of like hit or miss because when my sisters were like, I don't know, older children, they decided they wanted to have Christmas, so suddenly we were celebrating Christmas and Hanukkah, and I got really confused, and it was just sort of hit or miss, let's say. And, And the type of... Religious stuff in my family was we're Jewish, but, you, like, you don't really talk about God or spirituality. Um, it's We're culturally Jewish. We celebrate the holidays, and uh, we all know about the Holocaust and stuff like that. So that was kind of, and I did go to, like, Sunday school and stuff, and um, I remember one thing my dad said when um, I started Sunday school is he said, your mother's just making you go to Sunday school to take so that I get to spend less time with you. So, you know, I don't know where that's at, but uh, that was kind of, um, that was how it was when I was a kid. Um, We were told for Jewish holidays, you can either go to school or go to temple, but you can't just stay home and do nothing. It was like it didn't matter, whatever you want. So, um, and then when I became a teenager and started learning more about history, I decided... There can't be a God because the world is horrible. Um, And so then when I got to program, it was a wonderful thing someone said to me, which is also in the book, is it says we stop fighting everything and everyone. And that was, you know, including a higher power. And I was told, get a sense of what a power greater than yourself would be. And so what I developed for me, it just came to me, was that it was like this big, huge thing thick safety net, like, you know, the acrobats have, so that if I fell or if I was doing something scary, it would catch me, um, and um, here's what I say, like, I don't really have a lot to say about, you know, how I am with my higher power, because I feel like it's just kind of personal. And I'm so not an authority on it. I have read, I will tell you this, I've read a lot of outside literature. I'm a seeker. I've, I, I personally prefer more of the Eastern style of literature. So I've read a lot of that. And I engage in certain, like, practices. I don't mean voodoo, sorry. But, like, um, you know, what I mean is like yoga, you know. Um, and um, I find a connection with a higher power there. But here's what I know about a higher power for me how I know for sure it exists. It says in the big book too, sorry, I don't mean to quote it so much, just coming up. Um, Someone else said to me, uh, spirituality, or I guess a spiritual experience is um, being being, thinking or feeling able to do that which you could never have felt or believed or experienced before. I could not stop eating. I eat three meals a day normally for over 24 years. I could not stop. I couldn't stop eating ice cream. I couldn't stop. I love, you know, my a friend of mine said, I love that Entenmann's, the box of Entenmann's, it's a cake for one. <laughs> and um, and so I know that. I, I could not stop drinking. I tried to stop drinking an OA just for it to help my abstinence. I could not stop until I went to an AA meeting. I just I was going to stop for 30 days. Well, 30 days has been 24 and a half years. Um... I could not stop getting involved with, like, insane, crazy, God bless them, totally unavailable, inappropriate men, who if they ever did become available, I would have run screaming out of the room. But I think the attraction was so much of the unavailability because that's what I was used to. I don't go there anymore. Of course, I haven't had a date in 40 decades, but... (laughs) That might change if there really is a higher power, you know, but... um, uh there's so many things. Uh, you know, smoking. I couldn't stop smoking. Uh I ooh, that's really gross. Um, I don't do that one. There's just so many things where if I ask my higher power to help me, there is the help. It's beyond me. So, um I think that's what I'll say about that. Yeah. Oh I'm sorry, the question was um if my dad was alive, would I have been able to repair the relationship with him? And I'll, I'll just say this little bit about it. I'm sure that I could have repaired my end of it. It wouldn't necessarily have been a better relationship in the end. You know, i I got to say, I don't know. But I know I would have been able to make my amends. And so I'd make them posthumously. Yeah? You mentioned um, around that. A- about loneliness? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's not a, thank food. you. Oh, that's a good, oh, just not using food? Or? Well, I mean, just dealing with that whole sandwich. Okay, the question is, um, I mentioned that I um, ate over loneliness. I'm going to add there, I ate over everything, and I <laughs> ate over nothing. So I do want to make that little point. But I mentioned that I ate over loneliness, so what do I do today to, uh, so that I don't eat over my feelings or lack of feelings. Um, is that correct? Um, close enough? Um, okay, well, I did start with that. I got as far as saying the, the, the steps and the prayers. I read three pieces of um, recovery <coughs> literature in the morning, and then I read one, a different one at night. I mean, really, people, I'm not talking about even a half hour, an hour a day. I know, I know some people are heroic and do these long meditations and stuff. And, you know, whatever, that's not me so far. So, and then at night I write one page in a journal and I, I read this literature, this recovery literature, and then one page in a journal. And what's happened for me is the journal writing now has become, because of working the steps in another program, uh, their step 11, I think it was, one of the steps, it said, write every night write three things you're grateful for and three things you did well today and of course me I misread it and thought I said five so I wrote five for each and I just kept that up so I read I, five if you want to do it you're great you know so anyway I write three things that I'm grateful for and three things or five, whatever that I did well today and you know there really can be tiny I took a shower today and used body lotion I mean that's like important for me because it's self-care I Grew up like it was important for me to take care of everybody else, but I didn't exist. So um, it's important for me to have good self care, and that's even an issue I work on. Specifically in terms of the loneliness, it's a really it's still an issue for me. I'm working on making healthier friends. I used to have um, friends where. It was just like my childhood. I did whatever I could to take care of them, please them, get them to love me. And I always thought they were so much better than me, and uh, I wasn't treated very well in return. And so now I'm, you know, in this process for a while of making friends who are healthier and who um, are more able to love, be loving and giving and um, and I will, a lot of times, I'll tell you the truth, for my loneliness, a lot of times I'm still like watching TV. Um, but what I do more of now is I have these CDs that are meditation CDs and I, I listen to them. I I do call people not that much. I'm so thankful that people call me because I just still have that fear of reaching out. And um, I did reach out last night to a good friend of mine because I had done something great for myself, I had done this project last night that I never ever would have been able to do beforehand, it was a creative thing, and of course when I left, I felt, you know, I was beating myself up that I didn't do a good job, so I, I did call someone who who I know knows me pretty well and knows me in that area of life, and it, it was really good, I felt really good afterwards, um, and I do, you know, reading, and the tools go to meetings, um, Literature, writing, um, you know, I don't have, I want to tell you people, I do not have cravings like I used to. I don't really have, God help me for saying this because I hope it doesn't change tomorrow, but I don't really have issues with, with compulsive overeating anymore because I have, re, and because of the program and God and me and my help of myself, I have retrained my way of eating, so it is a habit that I have been doing um almost as long as I hadn't been doing it um and so it's a habit it's not like I never say, Oh, I want more but uh i don't I don't do it i i uh I think of my higher power and the program and my sponsor and i I just have my three meals a day, and I'll, I guess I'll end with this because I got the sign um And sometimes when the last bite is about to happen, I do get a little depressed, and then I remind myself there's more of the next meal or there's more tomorrow, and you will be okay, and I don't don't need food to fill every other feeling I have in my life. There's three meals a day and life in between. Thank Thank you.